This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's been lingering like a bad smell for weeks, but the World Cup break is finally upon us. It's 36 days until Manchester City next play a competitive fixture, so buckle up boys and girls, it's going to be a while. Today we look back on City's season so far, reviewing the highs and the lows while predicting what's next after the World Cup break. It's Tuesday the 15th of November, I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And I'm Ollie McCool. And this is the City Report podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United one, Manchester City six. It's two for Jekko. Tottenham Hotspur three, Manchester City four. Welcome to the City Report podcast. Before we get going, Adam, can you confirm um, that on this episode, if if our working relationship ever got to the point where it was unworkable, you wouldn't go and sort Piers Morgan for an interview and expose everything? Can can I just have a promise before we get going? I don't know if I can make that promise. I'm already (laughs) starting to get the itch that I want to just burn bridges. So Uh, I might have to take some drastic measures. Mm, yeah, Ollie, what did you make of um, our our friend Cristiano's approach as to uh, it's one way of getting out of a contract. I'll put it that way. It's he, he's done well of um, like like Adam said, burning every possible bridge. But it's weird seeing adults act like children. I always find that's a weird complex, and he certainly got that one. Well, it takes a special kind of person to be the most disliked person in the room when the room contains Piers Morgan, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so, I mean, has he ever heard of a HR department? I mean, that, <laughs> will be yeah. a good, that will be a good start. Start with your HR department. It was pathetic. Yeah. Oh, he's such. He's, I can't express it without sounding just really annoyed because he just re- triggers something in me that makes me hate like mm. and just he's so selfish and just so whingy and so like you are one of the generation's greatest stars 
why are you being such a horrible, awful person all of the time? Yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, and to think that we could have seen him lining up in a City shirt, how horrible that would have been. Uh, right, okay, no more messing about, let's get into it. Um, as the introduction alluded to, today we're going to look back at, at City's, it's not even half a season, it's more like a third of a season, but we're going to call it a half season review. As we like to do on this show, we're going to hand out some awards, speak about our favourite moments, some of the highs, some of the lows, and have a look at what could be coming after the World Cup break. So we'll get straight into it then. Um, Adam, first things first, I'll begin with you. Um, easy for that Brentford result to cloud what has what has gone before it, but it, you know, on the whole, it's been a, it's been a good campaign for City. What is your highest moment of the season so far? My highest moment before I before I give my highest moment, I just want to apologize for my my audio because there is either um, a transformer war going on outside on my street or. There's a couple of gentlemen doing some landscaping. So apologies if there's any crazy sounds <laughs> in the background. Um, yeah, yeah. My highest moment so far this season, I think it would have to be probably the Manchester Derby at the Etihad. That felt mm-hmm. felt a bit like, um, I know that's a regular occurrence now, beating them, but it just felt like because they had this momentum, I think they were on a win streak coming into the game and you know all the talk of the town was Lissandra Martinez was going to shut down um, Erling Holland, and it turned out that when you can't see above someone's knee, it's really hard to defend them. Um, and and yeah, I mean, that, that game was just exciting all around, the atmosphere in the stadium. Obviously, I wasn't in the stadium for that one, but the atmosphere even on watching on television was electric. Mm. Um and yeah, I think that's got to be the high moment so far. Yeah, it, it's the standout one, I think, isn't it, from the list? Um, I, I'd agree up until, what was it, about the 75th minute when United scored the the couple of goals and it went from being 6-1, which would have been the perfect result to replicate that, what, uh, 10, 10 a year, 11, 10 years on. I can't even do mathematics anymore. But um, Ollie, I, I saw something before we actually jumped on to record, someone saying that... Um, Lissandro Martinez was uh, a better signing than Erling Haaland. Um, now it was worse to that effect. It was more. It was more. If you delve deeper into what the person was saying, than what they were saying, the fact that he's had a bigger impact. But even still, it's it's lunacy to suggest that, isn't it? It's ridiculous. I don't like. If if you if if you are you going to count his negative impact in the first two games when <laughs> it was what two two one versus Brighton and four 0 versus Brentford? Are you going to count his impact in the Manchester derby? I mean, he's been he's had some good games. I don't think anyone can take that away from him. And for what we all knew of Lissandro Martinez before, we all knew him as a competent defender. We, he's just, would his height stack up in the Premier League? Has it stopped him as much as everyone predicted it would? You probably couldn't say so, but against certain players, especially like someone like Erling Haaland, mm. he, he doesn't come close. He's just, he's United's first... Oh, he's a good signing for a while. He's he's mm. that. He's not wow. And you see people putting him in their team of the season so far. I mean, no, no, don't be stupid now. Don't yeah. no, don't be ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's a little bit like the David de Gea effect for me, where if you have, in terms of a defensive player, if you have them facing so much defending to do, they're going to look good because 
by law of averages, they're going to be doing it more often. Whereas if, you know, a City defender, and it's not just City, there's other, there's other players you could mention too. Teams who don't defend as much don't have as much defending to do. It's quite as simple. Um, but but yeah, hey-ho, uh, we'll, we'll move on. Um, I'll chuck it straight back at you then, Ollie. Adam's stolen the Manchester derby as his moment of the of the season so far, which is a little bit inconsiderate. I mean, you're more than happy to go for it as well. I, I think it'd be up on the top of most of our lists. But um, what are you saying for the, the high point of the season so far? Well, I, I put specifically Foden's goal, first goal in that game, um, because seeing Phil Foden score in a Manchester derby is just mm. the greatest thing ever. Um, but, if, but because Adam said that, I'll go more into detail on probably the Dortmund comeback. Um, okay, you know, okay. Stones' is screamer than Haaland's karate kick. I yeah. Mean, that was just, it was just mega. And, you know, because it was a game that actually meant something in the Champions League, it's just that little bit better. And it's, mm. it was just, it was just a really great atmosphere that night. Um, especially when it, especially when Stones' goal went in, and then seeing Haaland do that against his old team, and just everyone going, "This wouldn't happen yeah, last yeah. season." This what? Yeah, like he's a freak. Um, and we kind of got, and we've had that a couple of times within this season where we just go, "Oh my god, mm. he's incredible!" So yeah, you probably have to say, I I'd probably say that if I can't say the derby. Yeah, it's a great shout. I, it, completely unrelated, but related at the same time. It was um, last week, I think it was, when the, they had the light show at the League Cup game against Chelsea. I was thinking, I remember when they cancelled the light show ahead of the Dortmund game because of the Queen Elizabeth's death, which was uh, one of the weirdest parts of the season. Uh, and and they, they didn't have any UA for banning, uh, any UA for banners because of that as well. So um, you've just sparked a memory from that. But in terms of that game itself, it, it was one of many comebacks. And I'll chuck mine in whilst we're here. Um, uh, and then I'll throw it to you, Adam, to, to sort of discuss it a little bit further. But my moment of the season is also a comeback and it's probably one of the, the first couple in that run that City seems to be doing across that sort of three or four week spell. And it was the Crystal Palace at home one where City were quite comfortably 2-0 down at half time. And it looked as though City were going to trundle towards one of those, uh, usually against Crystal Palace, one of those defeats that they have in the season where nothing is working. And then lo and behold, in the second half, with a little help from Bernardo, the, the absolute free card takes over. And it was his first hat-trick, I think I'm right in saying. He scored back-to-back. He went on to score against Forrest in the in the midweek uh, following that. And it, it, it felt like the first real time for me that we saw this specimen everyone had been lauded about. And, you know, we've watched plenty of football. We watched him a lot at Dortmund. But even still, in the flesh, in the Premier League, to see him just turn a game on its head, final goal, he sort of broke through the middle. I think it was maybe maybe Anderson, the Crystal Palace defender, or, or Ward, I can't quite remember who it was, just shrugged him off, like literally pushed him to one side, slotted it in, and, and the celebration was an all-time where he sort of ran off towards the, the family stand corner, grabbed the camera out of the, the camera person's hand, and it, it was just bouncing. But Adam, there was, there was a period in time, wasn't there, where every single week City seemed to fall behind, but with Erling Haaland in the team, came back and, and managed to get a result. Yeah, I mean, looking back at it now, knowing the results, it was a super enjoyable period. Um, you know, I think it started with that Newcastle game in which City came from behind, and then there was kind of a run of almost a month, a month's worth of results yeah. that were come from behind victories or draws or wh- wh- whatever it may be. Um, yeah, that was a great period because it kind of signaled a change in this team that we haven't seen in in years past, which is that ability to come from behind because. 
typically, I remember a stat going around, I can't remember maybe the 2020, uh, 2021 season or the season um, before that. And it was a, a graph of um, the big six teams and how many times in the Premier League era they had come from a two goal deficit to win. And it was, you know, Liverpool and United had done it dozens of times. You know, Arsenal had done it a dozen times. And for City, it was like once. It's just something that yeah. we as a club have never done, but even before Pep, before Sheikh Mansour took over the club. Um, and so that that was a fun period to kind of see that trait kind of get instilled into the team. Yeah, because even even still for the um for, for, for some of the big comebacks in City's history, obviously the the Chris the, the sorry, the QPR one, there was it wasn't a, a sort of two goals down. The two goals were needed, but it went to three two, didn't it? Um, uh, I mean, obviously the Aston Villa one was a bit different as well, but it it it, it was a real mentality shift, like you say, and and a an, an arrow to um, oh sorry, a string to City's bow that we'd never seen before. And who knows? Come come the end of the season, we'll do a little bit of a look ahead later on, but it, it probably will need to come back again. And whether or not City can show the metal and do it again waits to be seen. But it, it's reassuring, I guess to know it's there um right adam I'll, f- I'll throw it straight back to you then we'll, we'll move this along quite quickly and we'll go for the low point of the season and you're not allowed to say recording episodes with me well let me have a think then um no it, <laughs> i think this is an obvious one and i'm gonna because i'm going first i'm gonna steal it again um, oh look at that you know what no i'm not oh i'm gonna change my answer I'm going to say that my low point of the season is essentially everything except for the Fulham game that came after Kyle Walker's injury because I was forced to watch <laughs> Manuel Akanji and John Stones play right back. That's my low point of the season. And now looking back, I probably should have spent my time sticking razor blades into my eyes instead. Uh, but. Yeah. That's how I spent the last month and a half or so, and that's my low point of the season is is being forced to watch that. I mean, it's quite a broad time period, isn't it? <laughs> every mo, every living second, not even just not even just the matches. Every every second well, you've spent in between the matches, I had to think about the matches and come on here and speak, <laughs> and speak about, about the about matches. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely fair, um, Ollie. I, City have to sort that right back issue out, don't they? Because if it's not going to be Kyle Walker, and, and we've said numerous times it he's on the decline now, and and he's still a very good player because his peak was so high. Being on the decline doesn't mean to say he's he's automatically finished. But if we're sat here in a year's time and City's only recognisable right back, I think Cancelo's well out of that category now, if not in the middle of the sort of the spectrum. But if City's only recognisable right back is is Kyle Walker, it would be a gross failing for the for the club, wouldn't it? I think even if we sit here in in a few months' time after the January window and City's only recognisable right back, you know, Rico Lewis is the asterisk there. Can he get more game time and push himself forward? I still think City need a senior player, if that makes sense. You know, someone. It doesn't have to be like a 42-year-old, someone older than Kyle Walker, but someone a little bit older than a 17-year-old. I think City still needs to address that issue. Yeah, I think for me, I would be, if if I'm one, if I was City's decision maker, I would be looking at the January transfer window saying, right, we need to bring in a fullback. This was an issue we wanted to address in the summer, bringing a senior fullback, and they didn't. They brought in Sergio Gomez, who... 
it depends on how you look at his games. Um, but they need they need to bring another body in there, regardless of Rico Lewis. I think we've all watched Rico Lewis's ascension in you know the last couple of weeks, especially, and gone. This is a player who is going to be huge for us for the future. I put a tweet out during one of the games saying him and Cole Palmer are, are our right hand side sorted for the next decade, and I still mm. and I fully believe that. But he's seventeen, and he's not the biggest. Kyle Walker, for all his flaws, is massive, built, mm. bit well built, and he's still in quite fast. Mm. So you know, there's there is a noticeable drop off, and whether it's a left back or a right back and they can bring Cancelo back over to right back and play him in that inverted role, which he was doing in 2020-2021 so well. You know, if they can put mm. him in that sort of... If Pep wants to put him in that position again, then brilliant. But they need to be looking at right... They need to be looking at fullback and not in the summer in January for me because two senior fullbacks and Rico Lewis and Sergio Gomez just isn't... It's not proving to be enough. And as Adam says, you know, this last month without Kyle Walker has been pretty abysmal to watch at times because we just lose so much whilst defensively mm. we've been pretty okay there is so much loss going forward when it's John Stones and Manuel Akanji for all for however hard they've tried yeah yeah I mean take nothing away from them it's it's not their role and it's not their job and you can feel sorry for them in a sense but it is difficult to watch um continue then Ali your your low point of the season I think Adam sort of passed it to you in an open net and, and one that we're all thinking, the elephant that's probably still in the room a little bit, especially considering we're leading up to a game, City's next competitive match against the same opponent. Yeah, it's just... it. I'm not... I'm trying to find the words to really describe how I feel about that Liverpool game. Because... Mm. You know, so, so I think I think some people worst moment of the season might go, oh, that Brentford game, that's just been... but. That that's just one of those city losses that happens. Mm. That Liverpool game, I watched that and I'm thinking, and I remember looking at every single one of them, thinking, "What the hell are any of you doing?" Like Phil Foden <laughs> in some sort of left wing back role, like that is obvious. You know, Phil Foden in a, in a weird role. Erling Haaland just looked ineffective for a lot of it. Mm. You know, it was the it was the whole team. It was like they just bowed to the Anfield pressure. And it's like, well, yeah, City don't really win at Anfield. They've only won once there in however many years. But that's no excuse, you know, to not even be able to salvage something out of that game. They just let Liverpool through too easily at certain times and, and they got punished for it. So, mm. you know, if we if we could yeah. get rid of playing Liverpool at Anfield in the season and play 37, I'm pretty sure we'd still win the league anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if we just yeah, we just gave them the three points to start off yeah. with. To be honest, don't even have to go through the rigmarole of it. Yeah. But no, it, it 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 was such a strange one because City were coming off it on the back of. I mean, Haaland himself was coming off it in the back of his his the hottest streak. That was bar Brentford in the week just gone, the only game he didn't score in. Uh, obviously, Bournemouth at the start of the season. But in terms of that run, he was he was firing them in for fun, even when he wasn't playing well. He was getting goals, and he hardly had a sniff. Adam, do you think that that Anfield game, because of that, because it was the best chance, and I mean, Liverpool were in a, a rut, and you know, some might say they still are um, in terms of inconsistency, but was that Anfield game the worst defeat at Anfield of the Pep era, do you think, in terms of it was there for City? They only had to turn up, and as you've said a number of times, and we had conflicting um, opinions, opinions on this, but it was there for City. And I think we can both agree that the the application wasn't up to standard. I find it hard to think it's the worst defeat at Anfield in the Pep era because 
some of those games in which we were completely blitzed and they would score two or three goals mm-hmm. in a matter of minutes, especially when a couple of those goals were rather controversial. I can remember the Trent handball leading to, I think mm-hmm. it was a Fabinho worldie from outside yeah, of the yeah, box. Yeah. And then there was when Firmino tried to break John Stones' jaw with his elbow and got in behind <laughs> and scored. Um, I think those were worse, especially... I think that would have been pre-VAR, if I remember correctly. Yeah, th- that was 2017-18. So um, mm. I think those were worse for me, especially because it was sort of at a time in which Liverpool weren't really on our radar yet. I mean, they, they were playing good football mm. under Klopp, but they, if I remember correctly, were they finished fourth 2017-18 um, and Correct, something, yeah. li- something like 30 points uh, away from first. Mm. So... Um, th- that whole era of City and Liverpool going head to head for every trophy in English football, um, that that wasn't really on our radar yet. So I think those stung a little bit more. Um, this one, because of the nature of the way they scored on not not a freak goal because it was you know clearly a mistake by Joao Cancelo, but I think if that goal doesn't happen, I don't think Liverpool go on to score. I think. I think it took an absolute howler of a mistake. And I think we probably walk away nil-nil and we say, oh, the, mm. we go away thinking of the, you know, they were there for the taking as we did with the loss, but you don't go away feeling super bitter because you've dropped points mm. to a howler of a goal. Um, so I, I think those games in which we got blitzed in the past, I think those were worse for me. Interesting. Um, because for me, I, I'd have it as the worst one purely because even even 2017-18 and the Champions League run, Liverpool were obviously on the on the up, even though they were, I mean, most teams were about 30 points, if not more, away from City that season. So it's not exactly the biggest barometer, but you could tell they were getting to a point where they were getting better. Even I, the, the pessimistic soul, went into that Anfield game going, you know what, City should be winning this game and really thought that they had a good chance of doing so. Obviously, it didn't transpire and, and it is... It is uh, my low low moment of the season as well. Not the match itself, but more the fallout and how every day that week we were waking up to a new revelation of some sort of fan discontent with the fans or a bus being attacked or comments from the club which didn't really add up and was sort of inflammatory and then Klopp saying that it, it was a really toxic period and I mean we've, we've got to look forward to it in a, in a, in a month's time for the, for the first game back after the World Cup but um, that'll do for part one we'll be back in a moment in part two to discuss some more happier times and hopefully look ahead to some trophies in the summer too. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. I'm with Adam and Ollie. Right back into it then, Ollie. Um, okay, final topic. Let's go for our player of the half season. I'll let you go first with that one. Few candidates. I don't think it is clear cut as as some might necessarily think, but you can have first dibs. Well, I mean, I, th- I think there's one obvious, and that's Harland. But I'll, if Adam wants to talk about him, I'll let him talk about him because I want to show some love to Nathan Ake. I think Nathan Ake's... Wow, that's a shout. I think I, I, I wanted to pick someone a bit different because we can all talk about how yeah. fantastic Bernardo is or how fantastic Haaland or Kevin De Bruyne. Nathan Ake has been just so consistent this season. Like he, He's turned up, start the season, and everyone's thinking he could have gone to Chelsea in the summer. There's been rumours about him for you know however long. But he's staying. Is he here just to be fourth choice? And then Akanji comes in. It's like, oh... You know, now the it's like the battle of 
you know, the backup centre halves between them. But he's just <laughs> been this kind of shining light of consistency mm. in a defence which hasn't really been so, uh, by City standards at least. Um, mm. For me, he's been, in terms of, in terms of each individual centre-back at centre-back, I think he's been our best. Uh, he's been our most improved player this season of players in previous years. Mm. Uh, you look to the Manchester derby where he was just unreal, like, absolutely unreal. So for me, I'm going to be I'm going to be nice and give it to Nathan Ake because the, the guy deserves some love and he's just had a kid this week. So let's make make oh. it even better for him by giving him <laughs> my I'm sure be completely delighted. pointless opinion. <laughs> Ali, I just want to ask you a question because this was a discussion we had a lot before um, you were a part of the podcast. If City were to play, everyone's fit. City were to play a Champions League final tomorrow. What is your center back pairing? And this is um, assuming that the other two defenders in the back four are natural fullbacks. Hmm. And well, I know I've put you on the spot here, but it's been a, a, a <laughs> it's been a discussion we've had many times on here. So, mm, well, what, what, yeah. I, think, I think one's got to be Diaz, and if you're looking at who our fullbacks are at the moment, that's Walker and Cancelo. So you've got to pick one of the left footed ones. You could pick either of them for me between Laporte okay. and Ake. I think, I think they're mm. I think Ake's performed at a level this season where he's no longer ranked below, but at that level, um, Laporte, mm, but Laporte yeah. is Laporte, and Laporte has got you know years of a, bo- a body of work essentially behind him that just looks mm. immense. And he, and you know, the thing with our centre backs is they're all immense. You can pick any combination of the five and they're all brilliant. Yeah. That, that's been my answer up to this point was any pairing essentially give it, given it's kind of a more defensive minded paired with somebody that's a natural ball playing centre back. I think that's the perfect, and there's plenty of different combinations you can make to, to achieve mm. that. But yeah, that, that's been generally my answer is I trust every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to hear any Nathan Ake slander from me. I think he's absolutely incredible. There've been times City have blown teams away four nil, five nil this season. And he's been the best player on the pitch for, for considerable part. So it's a, it's a rogue shout, but it's certainly a valid one. I'm going to jump in actually. And I'm going to, I thought I'd have the, 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 the shout that was out the, out the, out the box a little bit here, but I'm, I'm going to say Rodri. Um, I still feel somehow Despite the levels he's set since sort of since Porto, since being snubbed for the Champions League final, the levels he's set since going on from that game, going into uh, last season, then obviously over into this season, well, is incredible, and it, it does somewhat get overlooked for me. Above everything else, he's he's you know his his break up play, the way he can win the ball back, the way he can make tackles and interceptions, superb. But there's a lot of older midfielders that can do that nowadays. Above everything else, it's the it's the ability with the ball, which I find astonishing. He's he, you could you could throw him into a number ten position if he wasn't what six foot two and built like a, a what's the term brick shit house. I think I've butchered that. So, but you get the point. Uh, if he wasn't absolutely built, you know, you could you could play number ten and he wouldn't look out of place at all. I, especially with the the injury to Calvin Phillips, I mark Rodri down as City's most indispensable player. I don't know if you agree with that, Adam. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I think I think the position itself is the most important position in, in any mm. pep team. It has been since it was Fernandinho playing there. It has been since Gundogan got a run of games there. Um, he is one of those players, and I'm going to 
put my Burt cap on for a minute. He is one of those <laughs> players that if he played in red, he would be hailed as midfield Jesus. I think it, in, in this era of where yeah. holding midfielders because the 4-3-3 three, three is such a popular position and the idea of one man be, being you know a one-man wrecking crew in midfield and, and cleaning up everything, um, that position is such an important position in football right now. You've got your Casemiro's and N'Golo Conte's and Fabinho's. He is, for me, far and above the best player in the world at that position. And I don't think it's close. If I, if I look around, mm. I would struggle to say who I would rather have than Rodri playing that role. I think he is he, he's not as mobile as Fernandinho, but he somehow is able to get around the pitch in the same style. And I think that's because he is so damn smart and his positioning is so, mm. so yeah. good. And he doesn't need to run almost because he's just in mm. the right place at the right time. Um, for me, he's he's almost on Sergio Busquets level when Sergio Busquets was playing in his prime at Barcelona, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. is, I truly am not you know trying to exaggerate here. So yeah, I think he's probably been City's most important player for probably eighteen to twenty four months now. Yeah, certainly, and and he's that sort of player. I hold the likes of Tony Cruz in this category as well, where you're watching them and you feel as though they've they've spawned in different locations because, like you say, you don't see them running it. Like Bernardo Silva's the opposite end of the spectrum, where you constantly see him on the move. With Rodri, it's like okay, he's popped up here, and in two minutes' time, will be completely opposite side of the pitch, picking up a ball in a different position. He creates space for himself so well, and he like like you say, so intelligent. Um, Take it away then, Adam. Your your final pick for for our mini award ceremony half half season review. Who's your player of the half season so far? I think the obvious one is Holland, but I'm not going to go Holland. I think that's too. Oh, I check think, those hipsters I out. I think that's too me. easy. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with Bernardo Silva. I think yeah, that yeah. when you look back at even games in which City didn't get the results, like at Anfield, um, <clears throat> the Newcastle comeback. Um, you know, the, the game against Fulham, which obviously City did get the result. He is, you know, we speak about Rodri spawning in, in different places. Bernardo is the same way. And as you mentioned, he does it in a different way because he's constantly running. But mm. it feels like there is about 10 of them. There are so many times in which he'll pick up the ball on the white, right wing as a, 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 on a counterattack and you say, hang on a second, didn't he just drop between the center backs and pick mm. up the ball and start this counterattack? And he's just yeah. everywhere and his battery never runs out. And he seems to be able to, he, he's so adaptable. And I think that's the biggest compliment you can give him is if the game is like that Anfield game in the past, in the last 30 or so minutes, that game turned into a rugby match. There was really physical tackles flying in all sorts mm-hmm. of, you know, 50, 50 shoulder to shoulders, lots of, of, you know, Jersey grabbing all that kind of stuff. And he was the most physical player on the pitch. But if you need him to be an elegant midfielder that controls possession and and you know is a tempo setter, he'll do that too. If you need him to be a, a winger that can take men on, beat defenders, put you know little crosses into the back post or, or shots from the edge of the box, he can do that too. I, yeah. I bet if we needed a goalkeeper, he would do that too. He's just so <laughs> adaptable, and I think you know we've we spoke about this in the summer with all of the the Barcelona links. He's so irreplaceable. If you were to replace, if you were to lose Bernardo Silva and feel like you need to replace his traits, you'd have to make about three or four signings to do that. Yeah, 
Yeah, um, completely agree. It's in a different way. It's similar to the way Aston Villa felt when they lost Jack Grealish and they had to they had to sign Danny Ings. Buendia, they had to sign a number of players just to to recreate his ability. Obviously, on a smaller scale, but I I understand exactly what you're saying and. Uh, no Kevin De Bruyne in there as well, which is interesting from the three of us, which uh, I don't know what that says, if, if anything at all. But um, we'll begin to wrap it up then. Ollie, looking ahead then, obviously, what is it, 30-odd days until City next play a competitive match? I think it's 40-odd until one in the league after Christmas. Do you think that Brentford game is, is going to prove a trend as we go forward? Or is it going to be an anomaly? Are we going to go back after the new year? What is it? Leeds away is the first Premier League game back, which you know isn't an easy shout. But is it going to be a little bit... It's hard to say, isn't it? Because we don't know what the World Cup will be. But do, do you foresee more struggles on the horizon in the new year? For me, the Brentford game was just one of those City games that we get every season. We, we lose a game mm. every season where it just feels unexplainable, where there was no kind of negative build-up. There was nothing. It just happens. You know, usually mm. they come against Crystal Palace. Um, and when we're talking about <laughs> nearly did, when we, yeah, when we were talking about the Palace game earlier, I remember, I remember thinking at that game, thinking this will be that defeat. Uh, mm. But then that Brentford game, just yeah, it was obviously going to be that one. So no, I, I don't think it's going to bother us um, at all, really. In the new year, I think I think there'll be struggles in the new year, but for different reasons, and that'll be more to do with players coming back from the World Cup because obviously we've got what two thirds or more than that mm. away at the World Cup this year. Yeah, uh, that that is going to be the one, isn't it? I wouldn't be against Portugal, Belgium, um, a couple of of those teams going out really early on. Obviously, want England to go all the way as well. But if it was to be an early getaway from a city point of view, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the most detrimental thing in the world. Um, Adam, finally, then you mentioned on one of the recent shows that you you you're not happy with the strength in depth City have in terms of the fact that you can't have two teams competing week in week out you know you can't alternate those two teams and then be of, of similar quality do you what 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 do you think a realistic target is for city going forward in terms of quantify it in terms of trophies can city do a champions league and premier league run effectively as we go into the new year or, or do does it will it come to a point where city simply have to prioritize one or the other I just want to clarify those comments by the way because my beef isn't the fact that we don't have two full 11s that can compete in every competition. My beef is the fact Mm. that we act like we do and we don't. And therefore certain players get stretched thin or you are, um, you know, you are forced to play Jack Grealish in the Carabao cup in the week. And then you don't have him, you know, in the league at the weekend when you could use him. Um, Realistically, I think a champions league and premier league, double is certainly on offer. I think the way that City achieved that though is that other competitions, aka the two domestic cup competitions, have to be um, seen to be less of a priority. Because in years past, they've not mm. been. They, they, mm. they simply haven't been, unless we've had that strength and depth. But you know, I, I, I don't want to see Jack Grealish. I know it was Chelsea. I don't want to see Jack Grealish playing in the midweek in the Carabao Cup when you've got a Premier League game at the weekend. I'd rather I'd rather take a book out of the pages of some of the other big six clubs. You know, you look at Liverpool, and obviously they have a ton of injuries, but look at that lineup against Derby. And I know there's a difference between playing Derby and there's a different and playing Chelsea. Yeah. But if you don't have those players available to 
rotate almost two 11s week in, week out, you do have to prioritize some competitions. And obviously the competitions you have to prioritize are the league first and then the Champions League. Um, But I think that's totally on the cards, especially given the fact that there is a transfer window before then. I think if you go out and you get one senior fullback and Calvin Phillips can stay fit in the second half of the season, Mm -hmm. I think if you get one senior fullback in the transfer window, you've got enough players that can play, you can play and compete Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. I don't think that's an issue at all. Like I said, it's when you start playing those same players in you know away to Swindon, then I start to get a little bit annoyed because that is stretching the squad a little bit thin. Hmm. Yeah, you heard it here first, everyone. City are winning the quadruple. Get the bets in. Um, right, lads, that will do. Ollie, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you for having me again. Adam, it was a much more cheerier episode from you today, I have to say. So, yeah, thank you for that performance, and uh, we'll, we'll be back again this week. Yeah, I think it's worth the PSA that that was on the yesterday's episode was on the back of two four a.m. wake ups for me. So I was um, <laughs> I was running on fumes. Yeah, yeah. Um, if that's what you say, right? Um, follow, subscribe, etc. As usual, plenty more episodes coming this week as we get up for the World Cup. Until then, it's been an absolute pleasure. See you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.